Zrul from Lubartów by Adam Szymański Translated by Els C. M. Benecke This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Recording by Piotr Nater Zrul from Lubartów 1. It happened in the year, but no matter what year. Suffice it to say that it happened, and that it happened at Yakutsk in the beginning of November, about a month after my arrival at that citadel of frost. The thermometer was down to thirty-five degrees sur le mur. I was therefore thinking anxiously of the coming fate of my nose and ears, which, fresh from the west, had been making silent but perceptible protests against their compulsory acclimatization, and today were to be submitted to yet further trials. These latest trials were due to the fact that one of the men in our colony, Peter Kurp, nicknamed Baudiga, had died in the local hospital two days before, and early that morning we were going to do him a last service, by lying his wasted body in the half-frozen ground. I was only waiting for an acquaintance, who was to tell me the hour of the funeral, and I had not long to wait. Having wrapped up my nose and ears with the utmost care, I set out with the others to the hospital. The hospital was outside the town. In the courtyard, and at some distance from the other buildings, stood a small shed, the mortuary. In this mortuary lay Baudiga's body. When the doors were opened, we entered, and the scene within made a painful impression on the few of us present. We were about ten people, possibly a few more, and we all involuntarily looked at one another. We were standing opposite a cold and bare reality not veiled by any vestige of pretense. In the shed, which possessed neither table nor stool, nothing but walls white with hoarfrost and a floor covered with snow, lay a large bearded corpse, equally white, and tied up in some kind of sheet or shirt. This was Baudega. The body, which was completely frozen, had been brought near the light to the door, where the coffin was standing ready. Never shall I forget Baudiga's face, as I saw it then, with the light full upon it, and washed by the snow. There was something strange and indescribably sad in the rough, strongly marked countenance. The large pupils and projecting eyeballs seemed to look far away into the distance, towards the stern frosty sky. That man, he was a good sort, one of those present said to me, noticing the impression which the sight of Baudiga made on me. He was always steady and industrious. People who were hard up used to go to him, and he would help them. But there never was anyone so obstinate as Kurp. He believed to the last that he would go back to the Narev, yet before the end came it was plain that he knew he would never get there. Meanwhile the petrified body had been laid in the coffin and placed upon the small one-horse Yakut sledge. Then the tailor's wife, a person versed in religious practices undertook the office of priest for such time as we could give her and began to sing ave maria while we joined in with voices broken with emotion after this we proceeded to the cemetery we walked quickly the frost was invigorating and made us hasten our steps at last we reached the cemetery we each threw a handful of frozen earth on to the coffin a few deft strokes of the spade and in a moment only a small freshly turned mound of earth remained to bear witness to baudiga's yet recent existence in this world this witness would not last long however 
scarcely a few months the spring would come and thawed by the sun the mound on the grave would sink and become even with the rest of the ground and grass and weeds would grow upon it after a year or two the witnesses of the funeral would die or be dispersed throughout the wide world and if even the mother who bore him were to search for him she would no longer find a trace on the earth but indeed none would seek for the dead man nor even a dog ask for him baudiga had known this we knew it too and we dispersed to our houses in silence the day following the funeral the frost was yet more severe there was not a single building to be seen on the opposite end of the fairly narrow street in which i lived for a thick mist of snow crystals overspread the earth like a cloud the sun could not penetrate this mist and although there was not a living soul in the street the air was so highly condensed through the extreme cold that i continually heard the metallic sound of creaking snow the sharp reports of the walls and ground cracking in the frost or the moaning song of a yakut evidently those yakut frosts were beginning which reduce the most terrible arctic cold to insignificance they fill human beings with unspeakable dread every living thing feels its utter helplessness and although it cowers down and shrinks into itself for protection knows quite well like the cur worried by fierce mastiffs that all is in vain for sooner or later the inexorable foe is bound to be victorious and baldiga was continually in my mind as if he were alive i had sat for hours at my half-finished task somehow i could not stick to work the pen fell from my hand and my unruly thoughts ranged far away beyond the snowy frontier and frosty ground in vain i appealed to my reason in vain i repeated wholesome advice to myself for the tenth time hitherto i had offered some resistance to the sickness which had consumed me for several weeks Today I felt completely overcome and helpless. Homesickness was devouring and making pitiless havoc of me. I had been unable to resist dreaming so many times already. Was it likely I should withstand the temptation today? The temptation was stronger, and I was weaker than usual. So begone frost and snow, begone the existence of Yakutsk. I threw down my pen, and surrounding myself with clouds of tobacco smoke, plunged into the waters of feverish imagination and how it carried me away my thoughts fled rapidly to the far west across morasses and steppes mountains and rivers across countless lands and cities and spread a scene of true enchantment before me there on the vistula lay my native plains free from misery and human passions beautiful and harmonious my lips cannot utter nor my pen describe their charm I saw the golden fields, the emerald meadows, the dense forests murmured their old legends to me. I heard the rustle of the waving corn, the chirping of the feathered poets, the sound of the giant oaks as they haughtily bid defiance to the gale. And the air seemed permeated by the scent of those aromatic forests and those blossoming fields, adorned in virgin freshness by the blue cornflowers and that sweetest beauty of spring the innocent violet every single nerve felt the caress of my native air i was touched by the life-giving power of the sun's rays and although the frost outside creaked more fiercely and showed its teeth at me on the window-panes more menacingly yet the blood circulated in my veins more rapidly my head burned 
and I sat as if spellbound, deaf, no longer seeing or hearing anything round me. 2. I did not notice that the door opened and someone entered my room. Neither did I see the circles of vapour, which form in such numbers every time a door is opened that they obscure the face of the person entering. I did not feel the cold. It penetrates human dwellings here with a sort of shameless, premeditated violence. In fact, I had seen or heard nothing until suddenly I felt a man close to me, and even before catching sight of him, found myself involuntarily putting him the usual Yakut question, Tochnado, what do you want? If you please, sir, I am a hawker, was the answer. I looked up. Although he was dressed in ox and stag's hide, I had no doubt that a typical Polish Jew from a small town stood before me. Anyone who had seen him at Lositz or Sarnak would have recognized him as easily in Yakut as in Patagonian costume. I knew him at once, and since, as I have said, I was as yet only semi-conscious, and had asked the question almost mechanically, the Jew now standing before me did not interrupt my train of thought too harshly. The contrast was, therefore, not too disagreeable. Quite the reverse. I gazed into the well-known features with a certain degree of pleasure. The Jew's appearance at that moment seemed quite natural, since it carried me in thoughts and feeling to my native land, and the few Polish words sounded dear to my ear. Half dreaming still, I looked at him kindly. The Jew stood still for a moment, then turned, and, retreating to the door, began to pull off his multifarious coverings. Then I came to myself, and realized that I had not yet answered him, and that my sagacious countryman, quite misinterpreting my silence, was anxious to dispose of his wares to me. I hastened to undeceive him. "'In heaven's name, man, what are you doing?' I cried quickly. "'I do not want to buy anything. I am not wanting anything.' Do not unload yourself in vain, and go away with God's blessing. The Jew stopped undoing his things, and, after a moment's consideration, came towards me with his long fur coat half trailing behind him, and began to mumble quickly in broken sentences. It's all right. I know you won't buy anything, sir. I saw you, for I have been here a long time. A very long time. I didn't know before that you had come. You come from Warsaw, don't you, sir? They only told me yesterday evening that you had been here four months already. What a pity it was such a time before I heard of you. I should have come here at once. I have been searching for you today for an hour, sir. I went quite to the end of the town, and there's such a frost here. Confound it! If you will allow me, sir, I won't interrupt for long. Only just a few words. What do you want of me? I should only like to have a little chat with you, sir. This answer did not greatly surprise me. I had already come across not a few people, Jews among them, who had called solely for the purpose of having a little chat with a man recently arrived from their country. Those who came were interested in the most varied topics imaginable. There were the inquisitive gossipers, pure and simple. There were the people who only inquired after their relations. And there were the politicians, including those whose heads had been turned. Among those who came, however, Politics always played a specially important part. So it did not surprise me, I repeat, to hear the wish expressed by a fresh stranger. And although I should have been glad to rid my cottage as quickly as possible of the unpleasant odor of the ox-hide coat, badly tanned as usual, I begged him in a friendly way to take it off and sit down. 
the jew was evidently pleased he took a seat beside me at once and i could now observe him closely all the usual features of the jewish race were united in the face beside me the large slightly crooked nose and penetrating hawk's eyes the pointed beard of the color of a well-ripened pumpkin the low forehead surrounded by thick hair all these my guest possessed and yet strange to say the haggard face expressed a certain frank sincerity and did not make a disagreeable impression on me tell me where you come from what your name is what are you doing here and why you wish to see me please sir i am srul from lubartov perhaps you know it just a stone's throw from lublin well at home everyone thinks it's a long way from there and formerly i thought so too but now he added with emphasis we know that lubartov is quite close to lublin a mere stone's throw and have you been here long very long three good years that is not so very long there are people who have lived here for over twenty years and i met an old man from vilna in the road who had been here close upon fifty years those have really been a long time but the jew snubbed me as to them i can't say i only know that i have been here a long time you must certainly live quite alone if the time seems so long to you with my wife and child my daughter i had four children when i set out but may the lord preserve us it was such a long way we were travelling whole year do you know what such a journey means sir three children died in one week died of travelling as it were three children an easy thing to say there was nowhere even to bury them for there was no cemetery of ours there i am a husit he added more quietly you know what that means sir i keep the law strictly and yet god punishes me like this he grew silent with emotion my friend i tried to say to console him a little no doubt under such circumstances it is difficult to remember that it makes no difference but all earth is hallowed but the jew jumped as if he had been scalded hallowed how hallowed in what way is it hallowed what are you saying sir it's unclean it's damned hallowed earth you must not talk like that sir you ought to be ashamed is earth hallowed which never thaws this earth is cursed god doesn't wish human beings to live here it wouldn't have been like this if he had wished it cursed bad damned damned and he began to spit about him and stamp his feet threatening the innocent yakut earth with tightened lips and his shrivelled hands and muttering jewish maledictions at last exhausted by the effort he fell rather than sat down at the table beside me all exiles without regard to religion or race dislike siberia evidently a fanatic does not learn to hate it half-heartedly i paused until he had calmed himself educated in a severe school the jew quickly regained his self-possession and mastered his emotion and when i gazed questioningly into his eyes the next moment he immediately answered me you must pardon me i do not speak of this to any one for to whom should i speak here then are there very few jews here those here do you call them jews sir they are such low fellows no one of them keeps the law strictly fearing another outburst i would not however allow him to finish and decided to change the conversation by asking him straight out what he wanted to talk to me about 
I should like to know the news from there, sir. I have been here so many years, and I have never yet heard what is going on there. You're asking a good deal, for I can't exactly tell you everything. I do not know what interests you. Politics, perhaps? The Jew was silent. I concluded that my present guest, like many of the others, was interested in politics. But as I myself did not understand the very elements of the subject, I began to give the stereotyped account I had already composed, with a view to frequent repetition of the situation of European politics, our own, and so forth. But the Jew fidgeted impatiently. Then this does not interest you? I asked. I have never thought about it, he answered candidly. Ah, now I know why you have come. I am sure you wish to know how the Jews are doing, and how trade is going. They are better off than I am. Exactly. I am sure, under the circumstances, you will wish to know, if living is dear to you, what the market prices are, how much for butter, meat, etc. What does it concern me if it is ever so cheap there, if I can get nothing here? Quite right, again. But what the devil did you actually come here for? Since I don't know myself, I ask you, sir, how am I to tell you? You see, sir, I often get thinking, I think so much, that Rivka, that's my wife, asks, Srul, what's the matter with you? And what can I tell her, for I don't know myself what it is? Perhaps some people would laugh at me, he added, as if fearing I were amongst them. But I did not laugh. I was interested. Something, the cause of which he himself could not explain or express in words, was evidently weighing on him, and his unusually poor command of language added to this difficulty. In order to help him, I reassured him by telling him that I was in no hurry, as my work was not urgent, and there would therefore be no harm in our having an hour's talk, and so on. The Jew thanked me with a glance, and after a moment's thought, opened the conversation thus. When did you leave Warsaw, sir? According to the Russian calendar, at the end of April. Was it cold there then, or warm? Quite warm. I travelled in a summer suit at first. Well, just fancy, sir. Here it was freezing. Then you have forgotten, is that it? Anyway, with us the fields are sown in April, and all the trees are green. Green! Joy shone in Sul's eyes. Why, yes, yes, green, and here it was freezing. Now at last I knew why he had come to me. Wishing to make certain, however, I was silent, and Jew was evidently getting animated. Well, sir, you might tell me if there is any... with us now... But you see, I don't know what it's called. I have already forgotten Polish. He apologized shyly, as if he had ever known it. It is white like a pea blossom, yet it's not a pea. And in summer it grows in gardens round houses, on those tall stalks. Kidney beans? That's just it. Kidney beans. Kidney beans. He repeated to himself several times, as if wishing to impress those words on his memory forever. Of course, there are plenty of those, but are there known here? Here. I have never seen a single pod all these past three years. Here the peas are what at home we should not expect the... the... the pigs to eat, I suggested. Well, yes, here they sell them by the pound, and it's not always possible to get them. Are you so fond of kidney beans? 
It's not that I am so fond of them, but they are so beautiful that I don't know why. I often get thinking and thinking how they may be growing round my house. Here there's nothing. And now, sir, he recommenced, will you tell me if those small grey birds are still there in the summer like this? And he measured with his hand. I have forgotten their names too. Formerly there were a great many, when I used to pray by the window. They used to swarm around. Well, whoever even looked at them there? Do you know, sir, I could never have believed that I should ever think about them. But here, where it's so cold that even the crows won't stop, you can't expect to see little things like that. But they are sure to be there with us. Are they there? They are there, aren't they, sir? But I did not answer him now. I no longer doubted that this old fanatical Jew was pining for his country just as much as I was, and that we were both sick with the same sickness. This unexpected discovery moved me deeply, and I seized him by the hand and asked in my turn, Then that was why you wished to talk to me about. Then you are not thinking of the people, of your heavy lot, of the poverty which is pinching you, but you are longing for the sun, for the air of your native country. You are thinking of the fields and meadows and woods, of the little songsters for whom you could not spare a moment's attention there when you were busy, and now that those beautiful pictures are fading from your recollection, you fear the solitude surrounding you, the vast emptiness which meets you and effaces the memories you value. You wish me to recall them to you, to revive them. You wish me to tell you what our country is like. Oh, yes, sir, yes, sir, that was why I came here and he clasped my hands and laughed joyfully like a child. Listen, brother. And my friend, Srul, listened, all transformed by listening, his lips parted, his look riveted to mine. He kindled, he inspired me by that look. He wrested the words from me, drank them in thirstily, and laid them in the very depth of his burning heart. I do not doubt that he laid them there, for when I had finished my tale he began to moan bitterly, Oh, vey mia, vey mia. He struck his red beard, and in his misery, tears like a child's rolled fast down his face. And the old fanatic sat there a long time sobbing, and I cried with him. Much water has flown down the cold Lena since that day, and not a few human tears have rolled down suffering cheeks. All this happened long ago. Yet in the silence of the night, at times of sleeplessness, the statuesque face of Baudiga, bearing the stigma of great sorrow, often rises before me, and invariably beside it, Srul's yellow, drawn face, wet with tears. And when I gaze longer at that night vision, many a time I seem to see the Jew's trembling, pale lips move, and I hear his low voice whisper, Oh, Jehovah! Why art thou so unmerciful to one of thy most faithful sons? End of Srul from Lubartów